0: Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, we see them often. We see them emblazoned on coffee mugs. We see them on t-shirts. We see them on art prints. And yeah, we see them on bumper stickers. We see these verses, familiar verses, well-loved verses, well-worn verses, and we quote them to each other whenever we are having a a great moment of rejoicing. We quote them to other people who are having difficult times. We quote them to people when they are in the midst of deep seasons of prayer. We quote them to people when, when, or even ourselves, quote them to ourselves when we are seeking God's wisdom. But sometimes those pat verses, and I don't mean anything negative by that. I'm saying we, we've made them sort of pat in some instances. We just draw them out and we throw them out and we, we, we use them as something. And, and it's almost like a little magical charm. Sometimes it's almost like a little band-aid for a deeper situation. And sometimes we don't really think about what do these verses really mean? Well, we have to understand that God's word is more than a bumper sticker. Now, if you have any of these verses, let me go ahead and preface. If you have any of these verses on a bumper sticker on your car, I'm not saying when you get home today, peel it off. That's not what I'm saying. If you have one of these on a coffee mug, I'm not saying get rid of the coffee mug. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this I want us to take the next few weeks and I want us to take five well loved, well worn verses and I want us to look at them with a little deeper scrutiny. Because I believe that these five verses, and granted there are many more, but I'm, I, I'm just taking five, and I believe these five verses are verses that if we aren't careful, we can blow right past them and not look at the deeper, richer, and in some cases, maybe even different meaning than what we normally suppose that verse to mean. And so I want us to think about how these verses that we'll be looking at over the next few weeks, they're more than a bumper sticker. It's beyond the bumper sticker. So I want us to look at that. But before we get started, I think it's helpful to sort of define some ground rules. What are the, what are the ground rules that we're going to use to approach these? Well, out of all the principles of biblical interpretation that I could give you, I just sort of narrowed it down to four. Again, there are more, but... There are four basic rules, and if you follow these four basic rules, you'll be in far better shape when you approach Scripture than you will if you do not follow these four basic rules. And if you joined us on Sunday nights, we went through a 14-week study on how to study the Bible, and we went through that in detail about a simple approach to Bible study, about how you can get the most out of your Bible study, and we went through that. And if you joined us on on Sunday nights, these are not foreign to you. These would be very familiar because we talked about them often. But I just want to share four basic principles and that's not just, these aren't just principles to use as we approach this series. These are principles to use on a regular daily basis as you approach God's word. The first one is this, just as in real estate, they say the three most important things are location, location, location. The three most important things whenever you're looking at Bible study are these, context, 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 make sure it's in context. It's amazing what you can get from God's word when you simply put the verse in context. Put it in the appropriate context. We'll look more at that in just a moment. Secondly, scripture interprets scripture and scripture never contradicts scripture. If you are reading a verse of scripture, don't just say, well, I think it means this. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But go and look at other scripture. See how that idea is fleshed out other places in the Bible. Don't just take one verse and run with it. Find out how it is interp- or find out how that is used in other places in the Bible. Because scripture interprets scripture, and scripture never contradicts scripture. Meaning if you find one verse that says one thing and one verse that seems to say another thing, can I just tell you that contradiction, that paradox, it may be a paradox, which that may mean, it may seem to be contradictory, but that tra- contradiction only exists in our understanding, not in God's understanding. God does not contradict himself. So scripture interprets scripture. Scripture never contradicts scripture. Point number three, the text can never mean what it never Meant now, I know you say that is so wise. The text can never mean what it never meant. But you'd be surprised how many times we read God's word and we say, "Well, I think it means this." Well, it doesn't matter if I stand up and say, "I think this verse means this." Now, I know there are some verses that it's they are difficult to interpret, and there may be differing schools of thought on an interpretation. But the vast majority of the Bible is pretty clear. And sometimes you'll hear people say, Well, what does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? Maybe you go, you've seen it in the classroom. I remember being in a, in a Sunday school class years and years ago where the guy said, What does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? And he got to me and says, What does this mean to you? I said, It doesn't matter what it means to me. It means what it means. And he said, No, what I mean is, How do you apply it? I said, Well, that's what you need to say because it means what it means. We don't get to make up a meaning for God's word. God's word means what it means. There's one meaning. There are multiple applications. So we have to be careful when we say, "Well, this means this to this person and that means that to that person." Well, that means it, maybe one of them is right or both of them are wrong. But it can't mean it can't mean two completely different things. It means what it means. So the last thing is this, always level up. What does that mean? Consider the levels whenever you approach God's word. Because there, if you think about it in three different levels, for instance, there's the individual level, that's the lowest level. How does this apply to, or what is God doing in the life of a person? What is God doing in the life of a church, a family? What is God doing in a particular area? That's sort of the individual level. So we have to understand how do we apply God's word on an individual level? What is God's work on that level? But you have to go past that level to get the full meaning. You can't just stay there. Because if you just stay there at that one little place and say, this verse is all about what does God want to do for me and that's all it's about well then you have what I refer to as the pocket God mentality God is just a little God that you can stick in your pocket and you can take him out and he can do whatever you need him to do and then he goes back in the pocket God God is working beyond just each one of our individual levels but then you get to the family level or the church level and people say well that's what we have to that's that's as big as I'm going to think well, then you've got a tribal deity going on. You've got your little tribe and you've got God working for your little tribe and you really don't care what happens outside of the tribe. And then you get to God working in an area. And you say, well, here's how God's working here. But you don't think about how God's working elsewhere around the world or elsewhere in the nation. Then you've got, you got the small town Jesus going on. But so often whenever we're thinking about levels, that's as far as we get. The individual, the family, the church, and then the area. No, we got to go past that. That's all on the lowest level. Then you have to go to the second level. And the second level is the idea of how is God working in his people corporately? How is God working in his church, big C church, all around the world? It's what we prayed about this morning, about the persecuted church. How is God working in the big scheme of things? Then you get to the third level, and the third level is how is God working throughout all creation at all times? And God's truth speaks to all of those. So sometimes you may start out with how God is working in the big picture and then how it filters down to you. Yes. But more often as we look at this, we have to understand, we have to get past us because it's all about God, not about us. We're not the ultimate pinnacle of what God is doing. God is the ultimate pinnacle of what God is doing. And so we have to move past that. We see a lot of churches fall into this sort of, thinking i've i've talked to people who have led churches at different times they've fallen into the sort of thinking where they never they never get past this one of the problems that we face is that is that while god is restoring the universe to a perfection that is greater than eden many christians are concerned about the church being restored to the success of the 1980s well god's bigger than that God's working a bigger plan that we have to understand. So, with those things in mind, what do we? What, what's the first verse we're looking at? We're looking at Psalm thirty-seven, four. Uh, the NIV is there in your outline. Uh, the ESV says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now. I remember years ago, whenever I was teaching in singles ministry, I, had, I was over the, uh, of the numerous programs. One of the programs that I helped out with was the singles ministry at my last church. And I remember I mentioned one time as I was, I was mentioning this verse in passing, I had read a story about a young lady who said that she had read this verse and she decided she was going to make herself a book of desires. So she took a three ring binder and she went through and started looking at things she wanted in life and started clipping them out of magazines and putting them in this book. She said that she wanted a handsome husband. So she took a photograph out of a, out of one of her, out of one of her fashion mags and she Put it in, taped it inside her notebook, and she said that she wanted the that husband that she had to bring her fresh flowers every week, and so she cut out a bouquet and stuck it in this model's hand, and she said she wanted this new car, and she wanted a house that looked like this, and so she made this desire book, and then she prayed over it, and then she said, and little by little, God started answering these. Well, uh, there were two or three people in one of those classes, and there was this young lady raised her hand. She said, "Are there?" Instructions online somewhere that I can that I can get them. And I said, That's not what this verse is saying. And she's like, Well, it worked for her. So I'm thinking, maybe I could maybe I could get in on this. That's how we approach this verse so often. But can I tell you, it's a whole lot better than that. It's a whole lot better than a notebook full of desires that you pray over. And I know some of you may say, how can that be? Oh, just wait. I'm glad you asked. Psalm 37:4. delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, let's look at this. Context, context, context. Let's put it in context. Psalm 37 is not talking about getting what you want. Psalm 37, the context of Psalm 37 is why do the wicked prosper and why do the righteous suffer in the face of the wicked prospering? That's the context of Psalm 37. You you look at Psalm 37, let's just start with verse 1. Once you take that one verse, Psalm 37, four, and you put it in the correct context, you find this, the faithfulness of God reaffirms your security. The faithfulness of God reaffirms your security. Notice the context back up to verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness, trust in the Lord, that word trust, we kick around different meanings for it. But you look back at that, at the original language, you look back at some of the original meanings and, and you can sort of glean a definition that's something like this, live boldly in security, live boldly in your security with Christ. It's not just, yeah, yeah, I'm secure. Boy, I sure hope I'm secure. Boy, I sure hope God has this under control. No, you live boldly. You live as one who is boldly secure. That's the idea of trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Some some translations say dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Dwell in the land and let let that faithfulness become a part of who you are. Let it be a close companion to you because the faithfulness of God reaffirms your security. And then you get down to verse 5. Drop down. Uh, delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart then you get to verse five commit your way to the lord trust in him and he will act commit your way to the lord that word commit is the same basic idea that you find over in first peter chapter five verse seven casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you that word casting it's kind of that word casting in the greek is sort of related to that word commit in the hebrew The idea is to roll something off of yourself onto someone or something else, to throw it off of yourself onto someone else, casting your burden, casting your concerns, rolling that burden off of you onto someone else who can bear up under it. My daddy uh, grew up on a farm. We grew up on the farm that he grew up on. And I remember one day we were... We were working on some fencing, and we were going to set this huge corner post, and my dad, we had some big bulls, and my dad decided he was going to build that fence really high. And I remember he cut this big section of creosote post, had it laid across the back tailgate of the truck. And he, because of the way uh, the, this, we were actually building a corral, because of the way that that corral was located on a hillside, we couldn't back the truck right up to it. So we're standing there. My brother and I were standing in the back of the truck. We're just little kids. We're looking at it. My dad's looking over at the hole and he's looking over at the pole and he's looking back and forth. And then he said, all right, I got it. He got down on one knee and put his back up against that tailgate. And he said, roll it off on me. I said, what? He said, roll it off on me. I said, daddy, I don't think so. He said, son, I can take it. Roll it off on me. And my brother and I got behind that thing and started rocking it and rolled it off the tailgate on my dad, he reached one big old hand back, one hand on top of it, grunted real loud, stood up straight. It's probably why he had back problems later in life. Walked up the hill, dropped it down in that, dropped it down that hole. I remember I looked at Cody and I said, that's a man, All right? That is one hoss of a man right there. Hey, we rolled it off on him because he could take it. We couldn't move it. He could deal with it. And that's what we find. God's saying, just roll it off on me. Commit your way to the Lord. Roll your way, your manner of life, all your concerns, roll it off onto God. And in the midst of this context, of this relentless, ruthless trust, we have verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That word delight is a word that means more than just be happy about It's a word that means to be soft toward, to be pliable, to not have to have your own way. Now that seems contrary to the second part of that verse. Delight yourself, be pliable toward, be flexible toward, be soft toward the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that in just a second, but we are to be flexible. We are to trust him. We are to live in bold security. We are to live rolling our way off onto him. And we are to live being flexible and pliable to his will because the faithfulness of God reaffirms your security. The only reason we can be secure is because of God's faithfulness. He is faithful. He doesn't deny himself. God will do what God says he will do always and always and always. So we can trust him in that. We can trust his faithfulness. That brings us to another familiar verse. Now, we're not going to look at this one in any detail over the next few weeks, but it's connected to this one today in a way. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. In some translations, he will make your paths obvious. He will make your path clear. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Boldly, securely lean upon, rest upon, roll off onto his faithfulness. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. How many times have you been in a situation that you've looked at it and you have thought, I can't make heads or tails of this. And then you, 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 you start taking that idea and you extrapolate it and then you start including God in your uncertainty well I can't figure this out so God must not be able to figure it out either I'm not even going to take it to him it's just beyond him are you kidding me we don't lean on our own understanding in all our ways we acknowledge him and then he makes our paths clear why because he is a God who is faithful to his word he's faithful to his people and the faithfulness of god reaffirms your security which brings us to the next part of this verse delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart now that desires of your heart that sounds pretty good but what we need to understand is that surrender to god redirects your attention when you surrender to god your attention gets redirected toward the things that really matter the idea in this is we delight ourselves in the lord we surrender to god and god god begins to help us pay attention to the things that we need to be paying attention to most specifically him there are two verses that have challenged me over the years and and i think so often i have blown past them but they're both found in the book of john One is John chapter five, verse 19. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Now, many times we look at this and we say, well, this means Jesus in a way is saying I'm equal with God. Well, yeah, but there's something else going on here. Notice what Jesus says only what he the son sees the father doing that's what he does whatever the father does that the son does likewise so jesus is so aligned with his heavenly father he's paying attention to his heavenly father to the point that when god says this is what i'm doing jesus said okay that's what i'll do i'm not doing it as in his words the son can do nothing of his own accord jesus doesn't say father, I'm going to go do this. Bless it. It's not what you see. You see Jesus saying, what's God doing? What's my father doing? What am I seeing my father doing? And then I'm just going to do that because that's what he's doing. Jesus has his attention focused upon the work of the father which brings us to a similar passage that sort of fleshes this out a little more John chapter 12 verse 26 If anyone serves me Jesus says he must follow me and where I am there my servant be there will my servant be also if anyone serves me the father will honor him Jesus says I'm only doing what I see my heavenly father doing He's got my attention So I'm following him. And then Jesus says, and if you're my servant, I'm going to get your attention and what you see me doing and where you see me, that's where you're going to follow. And the father will honor you. Why? Because Jesus is doing what God, the father is pointing out what God, the father is doing. Jesus says, that's what I'm doing. And if I'm looking to Jesus and I'm following Jesus as his servant, whenever I'm following what Jesus is doing, that means Jesus is following what his father is doing, which by default means that I'm following what the father's doing, which is why it says the father will honor that one. That's it. Now, I know some of us may look at that and say, that sounds way too simple. Have you tried it? (laughs) Have you just tried relentlessly, ruthlessly following Jesus? no matter what he says, because he's following and he's pointing us toward the heart of the Father. This is what we find. When we surrender to God, our attention gets redirected toward what really matters. You ever hear someone tell you something like this? Well, don't worry about it. In a hundred years, nobody's going to be thinking about it. You hear people say that? I thought about that yesterday. There was something that came up, went through my mind. I thought in a hundred years, nobody's even going to think about that. And then I thought... 100 years 15 minutes from now nobody's gonna care why am I so worked up it's not it's like it's not even gonna matter 100 years from now it won't matter 15 minutes from now and really and truly if you get right down to it it really didn't matter now much less 100 years 100 years somebody would bring it up people would think you're crazy 15 minutes later people would think you were crazy And sometimes I think people will think I'm crazy just for bringing it up right now. It's not that big of a deal. You surrender to God. It redirects your attention toward the things that really matter. John 15 verse 7, Jesus, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, now wait, that seems an awful lot like this desires of your heart kind of thing. Yeah, but notice the preface. If you abide in me, just what we talked about. You stay put in me. You follow me. You stay close to me. You stay in me. You abide. This is when Jesus talks about the vine. And Jesus talks about abiding in the vine, that he is the vine and that we are to stay connected to him because we as the branches can't bear fruit on our own. When's the last time you saw a branch of a fruit tree or you saw a, a part of a grapevine, when's the last time you saw one out there by itself just floating in the air, bearing fruit? Disconnected, bearing fruit. I will tell you when, never. Why? Because it's not connected to the branch. It's not connected to the trunk. It's not connected to the main vine. That's why Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. It's, it's really interesting because when you look up that word in the Greek, nothing, you know what it means? Nothing. No thing. You can do no thing without me, says Jesus. That's why our attention must be arrested by him and our attention must be refocused and redirected on who truly matters. And when I get my attention refocused in the right way, I start finding true joy in God alone. And here's what we find. Finding joy in God realigns your desires. When you start finding true joy in God, not in all the other stuff, but in God, you find that your desires get realigned because then... You start asking for the right things. Sometimes we talk about prayer. We talk about ask whatever you will in my name, and it will be given to you. Oh, that's good. I got a whole list of things. I got my I got my notebook. I've got my I've got my clippings of all the things that I want. Listen, you start abiding in God, He starts changing your want-tos. He starts giving you the right godly desires. So then the things that you start asking for are the things that are in his will because you understand his will because you've been following Jesus and Jesus is pointing us toward God. And so then whenever we start asking these things, we start asking them for the right reason. We start asking for the right things because we start finding our joy in God and our desires begin to get realigned with him. We delight ourselves in the Lord. We are soft toward the Lord. We are pliable toward the Lord. And then whenever we find ourselves there, abiding in him, staying put in him, following him ruthlessly and relentlessly, no matter what, and we have a heart of surrender, then he begins to transform our desires and we start asking for the right things. We start asking for the things that bring him glory and honor and praise. And we jump past level number one, where what can God do for me? And we get all the way up to what is God doing throughout all time and all creation for his Glory, and how is he allowing me to be a part of that that 's a different ball game than what we normally think of psalm thirty seven four to mean listen to isaiah fifty five verse one Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money? for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live we find in isaiah god saying Quit wasting all your time and all your effort and all your energy on all these things to try to get a whole bunch of stuff that you think is going to satisfy you when I am the only one who can truly satisfy your soul. I'm the only one in whom you will find that soul satisfaction and I am the one that is offering you something that if you will take in your soul itself will live. That goes beyond just, I got a bunch of desires on my checklist that I want God to do for me. No, it's God does something in us. God does something through us. God changes our want to's. You ever pray a prayer and then you start praying a prayer and you've been praying for something. And then you reach a certain point that God starts giving you a deeper understanding of what he wants. And you start trying to retract that prayer I have there have been times I've prayed things and then later on I've said God that prayer I've been praying now I don't want it anymore you didn't change my want to's I, I'm I'm I, I've been praying the wrong thing I've been praying too small I've been praying too little I've been praying for something that's not bringing you glory I've been praying something that brings me comfort and it doesn't it's not even pointing toward your glory so God I'm going uh, whatever we need to do to retract the prayer consider it retracted Sometimes it's a good thing to retract a prayer and pray something that's better and bigger, something that is befitting His glory. That's what the prayer we need to be praying because God realigns our desires. Listen, listen to Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. We run to this and that trying to find joy. God's word says, in His presence. Just being in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. There's more joy than you could ever imagine. Your joy is crammed to the maximum when you are in the presence of God. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 73, a familiar passage, but Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You, you know what my problem is? My problem is probably the same as some of your problems. My problem is that when I pray, when I seek God, I understand he's all I need. I need to understand he's all I want. My problem is I, I go to him and say, God, you're all I need. No, no, no. Now Let, let's start, let's start, let's start saying, God, develop in me a heart that understands you're all I want. Everything I could ever desire is in you everything I could ever look for is in you it's all wrapped up in you which brings us back to Psalm 37 because if you keep reading all of Psalm 37 let me encourage you sometime this week sit down with Psalms Psalm 37 one of my favorite Psalms sit down with Psalm 37 if you haven't and read through it if you haven't done that lately read through all of Psalm 37 but if you read through Psalm 37 you get down toward the end You find Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Now, now you back all the way up. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Scripture interprets scripture. Drop down to verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Those go together. Those aren't separate. They go together. They're all in the same Psalm. Whenever you delight yourself in the Lord, whenever you delight in the way of God, when you follow Jesus, when you surrender to him, when you recognize that Jesus is pointing us toward fellowship with his father, that perfect fellowship that he enjoys, and I follow Jesus and I trust his faithfulness, and I lean upon his understanding and not my own, and I roll my issues, I commit my way to God, then God begins to transform my desires and line my heart up with his. God begins to change my want-tos. God begins to realign my inner life with his ultimate purpose for the universe, which is alignment with him through Christ. God's going to bring everything back to the main point again. And what's the main point? Jesus. And he's bringing everything back to that point again. And when I understand that, my steps are established. Why? Because I'm walking in his way. Because I've committed to his way. Because I'm delighting in his way. Not my own. It's not about my desires It's about God's desires that he has placed in my heart when I delight in him. You delight yourself in God, he's going to give you the right desires. Now I know what we think sometimes. Well, wait a minute, I like my desires. What's wrong with my desires? Why can't God just bless my desires? What if I don't want to let go of my desire? Can I tell you, when God offers the right kind of desires when god starts to work that right kind of desire in your heart you won't settle for less you won't settle for your desires your own selfish sinful desires you won't be satisfied by those it'll 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 be like you're just you're you're trying to quench your thirst with sand it's not going to satisfy you it will never satisfy your soul God has designed each one of us so the only one who can fully satisfy our soul is him. God gives us a thirst for water that only he supplies. And so we go before him and we surrender. We go before him and we say, God, I want to delight in you. I want to surrender to your will. I want to surrender to your way. I want to follow Jesus regardless of what happens. And then, Allow God to redirect and realign our heart set. A lot of us have a right mindset. We just don't have the right heart set. A lot of us know he's all we need. We don't understand he should be all we want. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's more than a bumper sticker. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Lord God, thank you that your word is more than just some trite saying that we throw out. Your scripture, your word, your Bible, Lord God, it's true. It's truth. So Father, I pray that the next time we see Psalm 37, 4, we'll recognize there's a whole lot more going on there. For your glory, there's a whole lot more going on there. It's not just about checking off some of our selfish desires. It's about realigning our whole lives around you. Father, I pray if there's anybody here this morning, anybody listening, watching, that may say, I've never surrendered to Christ. I, I, Father, I pray today would be the day they would say yes. Today would be the day that they would say I want to follow God regardless. Regardless of what it may cost. Regardless of what may happen. Just recognizing, Lord God, that you're worthy. And Father, if we're following Christ and we experience opposition, persecution, negativity, if we experience the the loss of everything that we could hold dear, Father, you're still worth it. Because you're worthy. You're worthy to receive honor and glory and praise, regardless of what happens here. So Father, I pray that if anyone's never made that bold decision to follow you, today would be the day they would say yes. They would say yes to Christ. Because Christ, Jesus, God himself, came, lived a sinless life, and died a death on a cruel cross, on our behalf, for our sake, in our place, taking the wrath of his father upon himself for us. And then was buried and rose again on the third day, showing that that sacrifice was fully acceptable. So father, I pray that if if someone needs to say yes to Christ, today would be the day they would do that and surrender fully. Father, I pray for anybody here today. Maybe they've been praying the wrong things. Maybe they've been praying selfish things. Maybe they've been praying too small things. Father, I pray that you would take your word and that you would show them that by surrendering to Christ and by fully and completely casting ourselves upon his mercy and by following him no matter what, that that our desires are realigned with your heart, Father. Father, I pray that you would do some heart realigning in us today and in the days to come so that we would recognize you're not only all we need, that you would be all we desire, all that we want, recognizing that all we could ever desire is found in you. You're a great God. You're a good God. You're a glorious God. And we give you praise and we give you honor for who you are. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.